I think part of the secret to life is to kind of tuning into that joyful, creative essence that you are and nurturing that in other people here and now. It has impacts beyond the physical. You know, we're all learning to lead more joyful lives and fulfilling lives. Welcome to the Saul Good Podcast. My name is Solomon Harvey, and I started this podcast to explore the nature of human experience. Each week, I have a new guest on the show, and we talk about pretty much everything under the sun. I ask questions and hope to uncover the hidden gems that are scattered throughout each of our lives. So in other words, it's Saul Good. Today on the show, we talk to my dad, Leroy Harvey. And I've got to say, I'm really honored that my dad took the time to record this podcast because it was definitely spur of the moment and amidst a really busy weekend. He recently drove up to Petoskey to visit and help my mom move into her new apartment. And given the fact that it happened to be International Podcast Day, we decided to sit down and do a podcast together. In this episode, we start off by talking about Abraham Hicks, which can be described as a group of consciousness from the non-physical dimension. And this might sound pretty far out if you've never heard of channeling before. So my hope with this conversation is to introduce you guys if you have never heard of Abraham, and if you have, to just continue the leading edge conversation. I've known about Abraham Hicks for as long as I can remember, and I feel like it's because of my dad's exposure and having them accessible around the house, either through reading books or listening to audio CDs or YouTube. So if you haven't ever heard of Abraham, I highly recommend checking them out. You can search a question on YouTube followed by Abraham Hicks, and I think you'll be surprised by the answers that you'll receive. And maybe it won't click with you, but it's definitely worth a closer look. We also dive into some of Leroy's alternative teaching styles that he's applied in his college courses and have encouraged his students to pursue their own interests. And in this day and age where we give so much importance to an A, air quote, we lose sight of what education is all about. On that note, we also talk about my dad's interests, which include playing music and playing ultimate frisbee. And I guess before I give you the whole story, let's just dive right into it. So dad, to kick it off, what are some of your initial thoughts you have about this podcast in the first place? Well, it's been inspiring to see the the stories that are coming out and uh, to see you kind of learning from these people and being inspired yourself and kind of the flow of the conversations. It's pretty neat to see them evolve. You know, they're obviously not scripted, which is unfortunate because I'd feel a little more comfortable with a little script in front of me, but this is definitely spur of the moment here. Yeah. Because I originally said I was not going to do a podcast today. (laughs) Which I think everybody says. And so that's why I'm really honored that you said yes, just because I feel like pretty much every single person that I've had on the show, I wonder why there's so much resistance to it. Because I think it's just that self-reflection that like we kind of shy away from. And it's definitely challenging for me doing like a podcast and being the person that has to make people feel comfortable. And I talked with Taylor, the other podcaster about that, of just like, how do you make people feel comfortable when you sit down with them? And he's, his tactic was, uh, he was saying a lot of self-deprecation of like, I, you know, I would, I do this and yada, yada, yada. But like, we all make mistakes. We all feel similarly. And I was watching a documentary earlier today 
about Sean Mendez, which is like a really famous musician. He's only 19, but he's like world famous now. And he was saying that he still gets super, super nervous before he gets on stage. And I think that that is kind of comforting to know that no matter the level, whether you're sitting down in a room with one other person or you're performing in front of millions of people, I think you still, that feeling never really goes away. And so just kind of working through it and just like being in that discomfort long enough to kind of like let it go. Because I I remember playing at Foods for Living and kind of feeling that when I sat down to play music, it's like, this sucks. I hate this. Like, I don't feel comfortable. And then after about 20 minutes, it was just, it all sort of washed away and I was just enjoying myself. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems to be a secret to, uh, a number of things like how do you get people to be relaxed and spontaneous and just get in that space yourself i mean i think you do a pretty good job just uh, by exuding a good comfort level but you know whether it's a conversation at work or um you know you're talking with uh, friends about a project that you're enthusiastic about i think being in that relaxed state is pretty key i think a lot of situations maybe sacrifice creativity when people are like they have a preset agenda or they think they're right or they've got something they've got to get done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you lose that. You were talking with Molly about that receptive mode. Yeah. And I think that in your last podcast or a couple podcasts ago about just being in that receptive mode, I think is something I'm trying to be in more and just kind of relaxing and receiving thoughts or getting ideas taking time to just get relaxed and meditate take time every day just to get in that space of harmony with your inner self so to speak yeah i yeah i was meditating last month i for about two weeks in a row and i could just feel kind of the momentum of that and then i kind of fell off the wagon and haven't been doing it as much and i definitely noticed the difference between you know just how it affects even if it's five minutes in the morning just how that kind of ripples across the day and but one of the things i wanted to ask you and if you're comfortable talking about it is um, molly and i mentioned a little bit about abraham in the last podcast but didn't really get into it at all and I feel like to me, like there's friends that I have that know about Abraham Hicks and like the work that they do, but I don't ever really know how to explain it. Do you think we could try to explain that? Um, I don't know if we can explain it. I mean, it's satisfaction you, of, um, anybody but ourselves perhaps, but I mean, it's been a big thing in your life recently. Hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, Actually, when I was 16, I got exposed to the um, Seth material, which is kind of loosely talked about as channeled writing. You know, this woman goes into a relaxed state and just receives this person speaking whose name was Seth. And uh, Seth wrote several books through this woman and her husband dictated what she would say. And um, did you like when you first heard about that material did you question it were you like what is this because i feel like people might hear that and they might think what but I'm kind of drawn to it I, I actually before that i was kind of into into looking at buddhism and 
Taoism and that type of thing. And uh, But this seemed to make sense, so I was curious about it, and I didn't really understand the language that well. But Seth had like two or three main quotes that stuck in my mind. One was, you create your own reality. One was, you're limited by your beliefs. Another one was, the power is in the present. And those are just general kind of um, themes that came through a couple of his books. But interestingly, um, Esther Hicks and um, her husband were kind of interested in uh, Seth as well. And Esther Hicks is who currently channels Abraham. Right. And so Abraham kind of takes it to a new level. Like, yes, you create your own reality. And yes, you're limited by your beliefs. But here's how you can make that meaningful in your life. You know, how this actually came about and where that, where that what's the source of it. I don't know that's necessarily to even understand it fully. Mm-hmm. But just if the information resonates with you, I think that's what's important. And if it's helpful to you. I mean, I definitely get so much out of it, and I am glad that I grew up in a household to be open to that because I never questioned it. Like, I remember reading Seth books and never thinking that that was a weird thing to have somebody channel somebody else through them. And I think that that idea could easily be rejected, you know, as, you know, woo-woo, you know. But then to bring it back to isn't it pretty crazy that we're just alive right now? You know, what? how is that harder to believe? Or how is that easy to believe and that it's hard to believe that? Mm-hmm. But I just have gotten so much out of it, and I feel like you and Molly both have, I feel like I hear it on the background, you know, all the time, like listening to it and applying it in your own life. And I feel like it's one of those ideas where the deeper you go, the answer is kind of always the same, but there it's brought about in these different specific questions that people ask Abraham. Do you feel like you would, is there a question that you would ask Abraham if you could? Hmm. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I've been sort of in the receptive mode. I haven't really thought creatively about what would I ask. And I think part of the, the answer is that that information is available to you and to everybody all the answers are available to you and you just have to tune into it. Mm -hmm. Esther Hicks is a clear channel for this information and she's allowed Abraham to speak through her. But I think part of the ticket is just finding those answers yourself, doing what feels good to you and knowing what resonates with you and what doesn't and um, learning from your painful experiences and Mm -hmm. developing your sense of self-worth and believing that you have the ability to do anything you want or to to understand anything you want or to change your life for the better. Not like you ha- people have to change their life, but to to know that their their lives, our lives are meaningful and that we have this creative power within us to create wonderful things. I mean, that's pretty cool to think about with all of that cre- like creative power what do, what do we want to do with it and where do we want to channel it because it's so easily lost in trying to you know do this thing for another person or you know i could i, I sort of said it in the last episode i just released but like am i pursuing this because i'm going to make a lot of money or am i pursuing it because it's 
my passion. And I think up until the last episode, I was saying that pursuing things for money is the wrong thing to do. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think it's wrong to pursue something for money. It's kind of just focusing on what's going to make you happy. And if monetary gain is something that brings you joy, then there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're in, you know, sort of following the joy of that. But I don't know. It's like we all live such different lives. And when like you get out of school or you get out from underneath all this external pressure of what you're supposed to do, you're kind of left with this, like, what do you want to do? And I think a lot of people don't ask themselves those questions about, okay, well, I have all this time and I have all this creative power. I have access to information and to resources. What do I want to do with that? And I'm still figuring that out. And that's, I think, where I'm channeling a lot of the energy into the podcast because it's sort of pulling all these different things in and channeling it into one place. So all these different ideas, whether it's talking with you or talking with somebody else, it's like a platform to collect and sort of keep in one area. But well, just to just to be exposed or to kind of probe into people's beliefs and their what drives them and how do they spend their time and what choices are they making? That's it's really cool to see a diversity of that and uh, create a forum where you can share that with other people and learn from each other. It's uh, it's a great, inspiring, creative use of time. And mm-hmm. I think you've inspired other people to do similar types of things or to help people appreciate what they're doing. I like the idea of asking yourself on a daily basis, even if you're at work, what do I want to work on today? What feels good right now? Versus what do I have to do or what is someone else telling me to do or what are my past expectations suggest that I be doing? And then rather than just fall into a rut or looking for guidance outside, well, you know, well, this this is kind of intriguing. I think I'll work on this today. And when I do that more and more, I think I find my work more fulfilling. Yeah. Or when I approach a day from a positive state of mind versus a drudgery or, a, you know, habitually my habitual way of <clears throat> approaching a situation it'd be like this podcast for example mm-hmm. who knows where it's gonna go right and i was just thinking about that actually it's like imagine my kids kids you know and like them being able to hear this conversation and think about like what are we even talking about in this like what is relevant in the grand scheme of things because things are changing so rapidly and I think that's what's so interesting is like capturing a moment in time, whether you're comfortable or you're not comfortable or you're ready to do a podcast, you're prepared, air quote, to do a podcast. Like there's only so much you can prepare yourself for anything. And I I feel like it's a good just analogy. I mean, yes, you can like study for a test. That's probably a good idea if you're going to try and take a test. But if you're going to have a conversation with somebody you were sort of saying if you're really regimented and so sure about how something's going to go you kind of cut out the creativity and the openness that could happen like the magic of the spontaneity of it but i think that it's just interesting to think about who we care about here like and for me i feel like i really care about what you think as my dad and i don't really care about what many people think about me But I think that that's interesting is like who 
if you're going to do a podcast with me, who do you even care who would listen to this and think of them? You know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Not really. Not really. <laughs> well, just yeah. like, like, who are you speaking to? Because we're speaking to each other. Uh-huh. Nobody else is in the room. Nobody else is going to be, who knows? Maybe no one else will listen to this. But, like, if you think about it in your life, is there, like, somebody that you are trying to please, that you're trying to be somebody for? Like, mm-hmm. do you want to be looked upon as a certain way or a certain person? And I don't know. I, I think that it's just been, like, a big eye-opening experience having different people on the show. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable dancing. And so I had a dancer on the show talking about what it's like for him. Mm-hmm. And to me, for me to see somebody that's completely comfortable in their element doing that type of thing yeah, completely changes my perspective of what that mm-hmm. is. Have you done a three-person podcast before? No, I need to get another microphone. I like the, uh, you know, three-person format for, you know, a conversation or four people, yeah. five. Uh, classroom setting. Because that kind of mixes it up a little bit. It's not so much pressure on each person. I like that too, yeah. And sometimes somebody will say uh, something that sparks something in you. And if you feel like you have to be come up with something mm-hmm. to someone else's point, there's a little bit of pressure there. If I you've totally got two understand. or three people in the room, then there's room for more uh, perspectives to be shared and... The, the silence isn't maybe as awkward. No, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that that was my initial thought when I was talking about doing one with Abraham. It's like you, me, and Molly. Uh-huh. Cause I maybe think we that should get her in here. Yeah. <laughs> She's doing homework right now. But, but I mean. I really enjoyed being able to talk to, talk about Abraham with you and Molly. I mean, that is really a something I appreciate the fact that we all sort of generally accept this belief system that, you know, the idea that we are creators of our reality and that we're things like momentum and alignment and source and meditation or focusing your imagination are ways that we can kind of just be more proactive in creating the life that we want, you know, spilling into the material. But the fact that I have someone I can talk to about it. It's cool. Yeah. I'm involved with a law of attraction study group that meets once a week. And that's it's nice to have a group of people to share ideas with and learn. You can have a little study group. I mean, that's kind of like what you're saying. I mean, it's basically a podcast without microphones, right? I mean, and it's a roundtable discussion that kind of you can add to. Mm-hmm. Is that how that works? Yep. Similar. Sometimes you'll have a, it'll be a topic of discussion. Sometimes it's whatever's on people's mind, but, uh, yeah. I had a few other, uh, trajectories I just wanted to go down. Sure. Is your format of teaching has kind of been accepted and rejected. And could you just talk a little bit about how you approach like the classroom setting for your students and why some people reject Mm -hmm. your teaching format? Yeah, when I was in grad school, I got involved with the Bailey Scholars Program, which was largely um, kind of self-directed learning, learning in a group. This was you and taking or teaching? I was, I was uh, 
it was kind of like co-learning, co-teaching. There was the division between the, the student and the instructor was blurred. And we had the instructors were more like facilitators. And so it was, it was about having a good conversation and creating a place where people felt comfortable and safe to share what was on their mind and talk about what they were interested in learning about. When the, was there a topic, like a subject? Um, it, it, or, or it, it varied. Um, one of the things that um, I helped with was a once-a-week lunch, and someone would bring soup, and we, we'd have conversations over lunch about whatever topics people wanted to talk about. But there were also classes that were kind of more involved where you had um, specific themes. And um, these were with undergrads and graduate students and faculty that would come together and decide what they wanted to learn about and how they wanted to learn about it, projects they wanted to do, and also talk about grading, you know, or, or evaluation. Like, how do we evaluate this experience? How much did we learn? And whose role is it to evaluate? What's the purpose of evaluation or grading? And That's uh, huge. Was that pretty foreign at the point that you... Oh, it just seemed or... pretty natural. I was attracted to it partly because I was going back to school quite a few years after being an undergraduate. So I really wanted to be in school. I really wanted to learn. So that helped. But also just being exposed to this kind of new worldview that is not so new anymore. But this style of learning has always been around. But to use it in the classroom and outside of the classroom and between class periods and you know, there's always learning occurring. So how do you foster that quality learning environment? Yeah. And I'm so curious, what were some of the ways that you evaluate learning if you're not grading? Well, did you enjoy this experience? Yeah. <laughs> you know, did you learn something? Did you get what you wanted out of this class? So a lot of, and, a lot of like feedback. Yeah. And that's part that. of it. And each class would be different, but, um, some people really got it, got into it. And I think when I eventually started teaching in the college level, it took a while for people to get the concept that they were in charge to some extent. But once they did, once a critical mass of students, co-learners kind of got the idea, it was contagious. Because when people talk about something they're interested in, that inspires other people. Or if you value people's perspective and you create an environment where every perspective is valid there's not one right answer pretty soon people catch on and you can't force people to tune in to engage and there's always people that don't they might not even show up to class but well i just feel like yeah college students have had so much training if you've gone through like a typical public school operating system where you're judged based on your grades and you want to do the best to, and then you're suddenly thrown into this class where, Hey, you what do you want to do? How, like, how does it feel? How, mm -hmm. and I could see how that might be kind of difficult, but it just seems like such an amazing skill to empower the students to choose their own path. Cause that's what you have to do outside of school. Otherwise you're mm -hmm. still looking for approval from everybody when you get out of school. I think you're kind of teaching that directed focus, kind of like what we're talking about. It's like, what do you want to do? Because nobody can really tell you that other mm -hmm. than yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of freaky for some people, you know, they just get pushed out into the world and say, okay, well, what am I supposed to be? 
or who am I supposed to be? How do I get an A? Yeah. Like, how do I get an A in life? And who's going to judge me for that, right? And what's the point? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that, that was one question. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about you are the recycling coordinator currently for Meridian Township. And we just went out to dinner just like about an hour ago and you were really excited about the zero waste that the back lot is doing here in Petoskey. What do you think are some steps that people can take that want to approach a zero waste lifestyle? Cause that's something that Lindsay and I have been talking about wanting to do. How do you do that in this or what are some steps? How do you get an A? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zero A. Well, do you feel I, like I did you've have, learned that? I did have brunch at uh, Arby's today. <laughs> <laughs> Are they zero waste yet? Uh, no, not quite. Everything's compostable, but some stuff takes a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, those curly fries are going to take a while to uh, compost. Well, it is interesting to examine the possibilities. I mean, one of the issues that people have is where do you get compostable uh, dishware, and is it even compostable in your average compost pile, or even a commercial compost pile? It doesn't necessarily break down very easily, but it's a step in the right direction. And there's new products coming out. Part of it is just becoming conscious of what you're purchasing, and when you do have an opportunity to make a choice to get something that might be usable or recyclable, or made of recycled products. You know, where are you spending your money and If that's one of your goals, it's not necessarily my goal at the moment to be zero waste, but a lot of people that I work with are interested in that. More on the community level, we have a green team where we're talking about how do we promote waste reduction and recycling in the the, uh, community that I'm in. And so where do you get the stuff and where do you compost it once you've collected it? How do you minimize the uh, pollutants? Because if you got a big group of people together and people are throwing the plastic and the compostables together, plastic bags, you pretty much have to throw everything in the landfill unless you want to sort through a bunch of food waste and just undesirable material. Sign me up. So part of it is educating people what goes in which container and and setting up systems to recycle or compost that. Fortunately, that's changing quite a bit in our community. We are having a, we do have uh, um, some companies that are doing commercial composting. We just, there's been a uh, in the pilot, Township. in the Greater Lansing area. Okay. There is a pilot project called Scraps to Soil that the city of Lansing and Board of Water and Light and uh, some other local restaurants participated in that inspired some more commercial scale composting. So that's just one aspect of waste reduction. Mm-hmm. And you could, it's so broad. I mean, I just, it seems like you're approaching it from a pretty big standpoint of actually fixing the problem. But I'm wondering from like the consumer level of like, what can I do? And you were saying, you know, what are you purchasing? Reusing bags, finding reusables, things like that. But I, I feel like a lot of those bigger problems they just get kind of complex at the grand scale and it's overwhelming for somebody 
that's one person to say, like, what can I do? You know, what is like me changing the way that I do stuff? How is that actually going to make a difference when really that's how it starts? Like you Mm kind of have, it has to start somewhere and it starts with you. And so finding like simple steps that you can take. um, Yeah. The, the answer is not always recycling. I mean, it kind of depends on what the question is, what answer you're going to get. But, um, are you interested in saving money? Well, I, you know, there's all these things you can do to save money that also reduce waste. Are you interested in, you know, cutting down the amount of trash mm-hmm. or the stuff that goes to the landfill? Are you interested in saving energy, saving water? Each community has its own set of challenges. I mean, imagine here in Petoskey, people are very concerned about water quality. It's part of the local economy. So I might not be as interested in recycling here as I might be as, you know, how do I reduce the pollutants that are going into Lake Michigan? Mm-hmm. Or is the wastewater treatment plant doing all they can do to to process our waste? And so finding the priorities. Yeah. Focusing yeah. on those. Yeah. Michigan, with its Great Lakes, you know, is in the center of one of the largest sources of fresh water in the world. And if we can't be good stewards of that water, how can we tell people they can't have our water? You know, if we're wasting it, if we're polluting it, can we really tell people, other people they can't have it? They see us wasting water or destroying our precious natural resource. So anyway, That's I think big, being, yeah. being good stewards of our water sheds and our, our green infrastructure, and blue-green infrastructure, I think is another word. We're just beginning to realize the economic and environmental and health impacts and benefits that we get from trees, from grass, from the soil, and how we can, um, you know, preserve that to reduce runoff that goes contaminated runoff or it's carrying pollutants into the to the lakes and streams. So who's in who's in charge of being good stewards? All of us. Or is oh, there yeah. somebody in particular that, like, is more accountable? Well, that's a good question. Um, working on a project with some students this term at MSU just to kind of look at what are all the groups that are involved with green, blue-green infrastructure. And there's, just in the greater Lansing area, there's probably a, over 100. And what does that mean? Well, I, it's... It's the wetlands, it's the lakes, it's the rivers, it's the prairies, it's the urban forests, it's your your lawn, everything that you might consider green or blue okay. in the environment. Well, that makes sense. We don't have to get too deep into it. I was just curious. There's the natural occurring, but then there's the um, things that you can do in your yard or in your landscape too, whether it's composting or planting native grasses or just protecting your existing mm-hmm. natural areas, like the job you just started yeah. looking at uh, conservation areas and reducing invasive species and that type of thing. So that's preserving your green infrastructure. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things you can do in your in your landscape. So this is an exploratory project, just looking at who's involved. And you know, there's a lot of common interests out there. And the fact that we don't know who all is out there and we're just beginning to understand what blue-green infrastructure is, or at least some of us are, is interesting. So 
it's a fun project i'm engaged in (laughs) yeah i feel like i mean i would hope that it's never a malicious effort to destroy the great lakes but i'm sure a lot of it is just getting the right information out to the right people and i think that that's where maybe i sort of struggle with pursuing money or profit as the wrong thing because we have you know this massive pipeline running through the straits of Mackinac, and you sort of i start to question why why you know what is like the underlying source and it really seems like it keeps coming back to money you know it's like producing a ton of money and it's like creating and it's reinforcing the fossil fuel industry that is really producing you know billions and billions of dollars if they didn't make money off of it i don't know if they would continue to do it and i i could be wrong in that but i think that that perspective has is one of the ones that has made me feel like well if they were pursuing it because they love to do it then they might be more in favor of the the lakes you know the water this like precious resource that we don't we can't really make too many mistakes we don't get too many second chances if we're gonna play with that well it's one of those areas where um pipelines through uh pristine fresh waters or salt waters is probably something that we should be very cautious about and spend resources protecting i'm not saying you know we're all we're all using natural gas and, I know. and gasoline I, I drive a car and, and yeah. oil and uh you know we're buying that stuff and yeah, we should probably be paying a little bit more to pay for some of those hidden costs that we don't necessarily pay at the pump, whether that's protecting the Great Lakes, building super-duper pipelines, or super-efficient transportation systems for those precious resources, Mm -hmm. or looking at alternatives rather than business as usual, you know, investing in hybrids and in the infrastructure for electric cars, for example. There's a lot of things we can do to make a difference and... Well, I think it's fun, and I'm really glad that you're talking with me because I think it's fun to have a conversation when it's not a heated debate and it's just an open conversation to really like snapshot this time where who knows in 20 years what the state of affairs is going to look like. And so what are we talking about now and what is relevant and just being able to talk about it openly as these are some issues that are coming up in the world around us and we're doing Mm -hmm. you know i didn't even necessarily realize what being a steward of the land meant until i started this job you know Mm -hmm. and uh it's tedious labor-intensive work to to do some of this type of thing you know these types of things and it's not necessarily super fun but it's necessary Mm -hmm. and one of the, one of the things that I think we learn falsely in school is that there's one right answer, and most of these complex challenges have many answers, and we're part of that answer, and and yet the way we come at problems in our society, you know, we got a war on terrorism, a war on drugs, you know, a war on Democrats or Republicans, whatever. We take we take sides, and we. We fight about it, and we automatically close down our creativity. And I think you're exactly right. Like, let's just have a conversation in a safe environment. 
and maybe we can see multiple ways that we can address this issue and that we can work together. Mm-hmm. But when you're fighting about who's right and when you're demonizing the somebody, maybe it's big oil or, you know, in some cases people are to blame, but they also have a big role in the solution. So let's not demonize them. Let's work together. To, mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes people have to be forced to come to the table and come up with decisions and they're not cheap. Well, I'm optimistic that I feel like we're moving in the right direction. And you taught renewable energy for a couple of years, right, at LCC. And I feel like it's just fun to think about the students that you've empowered to not only learn about renewable energy, but then take the initiative to follow what interests them because they're going to be 10 times more powerful by following their interests and not just necessarily working for, you know, an A. Mm-hmm. Right, and trying to please people. Yeah, it's really rewarding to see people that have taken ideas that have been come up in the classroom and, and go with it. Like, we're working on a 20-kilowatt solar system at Meridian Township that's going in today. It hopefully will be working in the next couple of weeks. Actually, I was there yesterday, and they were putting the footings in out in front of Meridian Township. And uh, one of the guys that's helping with that project was a student in my class. 10 years ago. Is that Ian? No. Okay. No. Ian was, Ian is my teacher now. (laughs) Most of these guys know a lot more than I do about the subject because they've really gotten into it. And the company that he's working with helped us diagnose a uh, a problem with the solar panel system we put in at the local nature center five years ago. A squirrel had eaten through the wires. And uh, so they helped replace the wires. Anyway, it's neat when when ideas catch fire with people and create an environment where you can nurture that is is fun. I had a couple other things because I didn't want to just make it a super serious conversation. I feel like we're kind of getting Yeah, it's been pretty serious here, but <laughs> but um you're a musician, like I'm assuming that people don't know anything about you. You know, I kind of take that for granted, but you're a really talented musician. You play with a bunch of different bands in the Lansing area and what is your current project you're working on right now well I wouldn't call myself a musician I just enjoyed playing it and uh you play guitar yep I also enjoy bass and banjo and singing nice and it's mostly just getting together with people and uh having a jam yeah because you are you running some open mics right now yeah I do one singer songwriter open mic a month It's usually the third Wednesday at Eagle Monk in Lansing. So we got any Lansing listeners out there? Yeah, it runs from 7 to 9.30. I co-host it with another woman, and that's fun because you have different people every time. Sometimes I'll do a couple songs with other people. There's some times when you just jam together. Do you sign up, play a couple songs, or it's kind of a round? Yeah, it's um, three songs, basically. I bring the sound system and the mics, and uh, it's different every every month. Yeah, I feel like you're either playing Ultimate Frisbee or going to an open mic. <laughs> Those are the most fun times during my week, so I try and do as much of that as possible. But some of the richest musical environment was the Pickin' in the Park, down by the fish ladder. People came every Tuesday, and you just do a round-robin jam. What is a round robin for people that don't know? 
Basically, you're kind of in a circle and you take turns leading a song. It can be a new song no one has heard. Sometimes they'll bring extra copies of, this, of the chords and the music. And you can sing along. It's, it's mostly acoustic. Do you typically end up with like 10 guitarists or people bring a yeah. variety of music? Yeah. It's, well, in some ways, it's like having a good dialogue. Not everyone is going to be playing at once. Hopefully, people are listening. Hopefully, they're <laughs> in the re receptive mode. Yeah. You know, people are tuned up and not playing too much. And by taking turns, that sort of creates a nice structure so that everyone has a chance to... Well, the diversity of people in attendance can, can kind of enrich the musical experience. Yeah, because you don't know what you're going to be playing. Right. Right? Yeah. Usually you tell people what key it's in. Take turns with taking a lead, perhaps, if there's a fiddle player or a, someone that wants to pick something out and provide space so that you can have that musical lead as well. well. You kind of already answered it, but what is one of your favorite environments to play in? If you're playing with a band, do you like playing for a small audience or a large audience, or would you choose the picking in the park over anything else? I'm not so into the public performance thing, partly because I'm not that good. You're good. Um, I enjoy the uh, more the round robin jam or the practice sessions. You know, play with a couple of different musical venues. Sometimes the public performance is the only chance I get to play with people. Like last week, I played at the farmers market with Shenanigans which is a two-piece Irish guitar, flute, band in Lansing. And uh, there's so much fun to play with. We invited another person to play with us. And, uh, you know, we're not going to necessarily take the time to practice or to jam together. Mm -hmm. But we've got this gig at the farmer's market, so here's a chance. Makes me think of the analogy between that and the podcast. It's like, I love having deep conversations with people or deeper or following a trajectory and getting into the flow, getting past, you know, the first 10 minutes that of back and forth. And when else do I really have the opportunity to do that unless I do a podcast? And it's like, yes, I could just sit down and talk to somebody and look them in the eyes for the, like an hour, but that's not really going to happen unless it's being recorded. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's kind of maybe what you're saying with like having a show or, performing with people is like having the context to then be able to do those things that you like to do. You know, whether it's a conversation or going back and forth, playing music is. Yeah. Or playing ultimate Frisbee. Right. It's six o'clock on Sunday night and Thursday night. Do you remember your <laughs> first game of ultimate Frisbee? I feel like you've probably played. Yeah. At a uh, hundred thousand games. Your aunt's commitment ceremony. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Emmy. Wow. My sister. Yeah, they just had a kind of a free-for-all Frisbee game, and that's kind of when I said, oh, this is a lot of fun. No way. Was it set up like Ultimate? Yeah, it was just, you know, you, you get your end zones, and you everybody's welcome to play. I still all have, skill levels. I still have memories from that commitment ceremony. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You were so, probably playing. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you play with different groups. Is that how that yeah, works? It's, yeah, mostly pickup, like, um, again, whoever shows up. All age groups? Yeah, from 9 to 60. I'm usually the oldest person there. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
it's a good workout. You don't really realize you're exercising, but so let's say people don't know what ultimate frisbee is. What could you sort of describe it a little bit more in detail? Say yeah. I show up for the first time or I'm interested in coming to a yeah. game. What can I expect? Well, yeah, all skill levels are welcome in the pickup games that I'm involved with. But basically it's like football, but you can't run with the frisbee. And if you catch it in the end zone at the one end of the field, then you get a point for your team. If you drop it or miss catching it, then it goes to the other team and the play reverses in the other direction. I think that I loved about it is that it's just a team... You, know, you have to play as a team because you can't run with the Frisbee, so you're always looking to pass it. Passing is the name of the game rather than you can't really hog the Frisbee. There's also kind of a lot of camaraderie, and because there's a, a broad difference in uh, skill levels, usually you'll split up the teams. You know, If you have some new players, one will be on one side, one will be on the other, or two on each side. Typically you have you know five to seven players. I did a little more structured league frisbee for the first time this summer, and that was that was a little more structured than I'm used to. I kind of like the free for all approach, but a little more serious. Is it pretty? Yeah, it was. It was you know the high level playing. People were pretty well. There was an all men's group, and then there was a co-ed group, and they were both pretty intense, but a lot of fun. But just a um, little more structured play specific plays and formations, defense, offense, strategies, and things like that. So I learned a lot, but I'm not used to that type of playing. I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm just following what's interesting in my own sure. progression of things. But I wanted to keep it light, but also get your thoughts on... I've talked pretty openly about, you know, Gami passing and thinking about like that and my relationship to death. And do you, with Abraham or just your own beliefs, do you feel like, how do you feel like it has been coping with such a close loss? Yeah, well, it's, it's been a powerful experience in many ways, much more positive than, you know, obviously it's sad when someone's not around, but in some ways, you know, the whole experience brought our family together and uh, brothers and sisters and extended family and just going through that experience with close family was more than I could have ever imagined in terms of sharing and life nurturing. And then just the process of reflecting on her life. And you helped with that with a podcast with her before she passed on. That was, you know, that all contributed to it. Talking with her friends and hearing stories about how the Ailey's Harvey Gami influenced their lives was really inspiring and she lived a rich life such a rich life so it's hard to be sad about this person it's more of a joyful experience like this person really left a legacy mm -hmm. and to to be part of a, a life celebration was a good way to to kind of learn things some things about her but also reflect on that and kind of reflect on the essence of her being and and be reminded in some ways that that's still here with us mm -hmm. and that one person's life can make an eternal impact on the on people yeah the ripple effect mm -hmm. ripples into all of our lives and I, just i believe that her essence is still here and she's not who she was when she was physically present 
but I think you can, we can all turn into that, tune into that unconditional loving presence that a person becomes after they pass on, kind of beyond their ego, beyond their body, and be comforted by that and open to it if we are kind of in the receptive mode. Do you think that source, because I believe 100% that she's still with us in many ways, and do you think that source is similar to Abraham? Or mm -hmm. do you think Abraham is a completely different, or is it, do you think that's similar? Well, I think people retain their individuality, maybe, but enter sort of this collective reality at the same time. So it's hard to see the separateness. You know, it's definitely different than a physical body. And I can't say that I consciously understand it. Yeah. But I think a person's source blends with others, but is also um unique and you know i think you can tune into that essence but i don't know that you could definitely you could tell the difference between mm. well and that's where i that i started saying that we're so individualistic because i feel like in a way you want it to be that that person when in reality like there's this like collection you know it's maybe it's not that specific person anymore Mm -hmm. But that's okay because we don't need to be so confined to our our body, our beliefs. You know, we're we're a collection of thoughts, beliefs, physical, material, and we want that I to be eternal. Mm -hmm. When I don't necessarily think that blob of stuff is eternal necessarily, but the essence of who you are, which is kind of universal, mm -hmm. is and forever will be. Yeah. And I think part of the secret to life is to kind of tuning into that joyful, creative essence that you are and nurturing that in other people here and now beyond, you know, it has impacts beyond the physical and that, you know, we're all learning to do, to lead more joyful lives and fulfilling lives. But part of it is tuning in. It doesn't matter if you're dead or alive. <laughs> I mean, tuning into your eternal essence is an, is an important part of life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's open in, for interpretation. You know, we're all going to see it differently through our own lens. And I really appreciate you talking with me about it because I, th I think that it's something that I've always like sought after is origins of things and the sources of, of things. And I think we're darn close. I don't think that like we ever could necessarily completely comprehend it, but I do think that the open conversation is pretty powerful stuff. And I, I agree with what you're saying too, about, you know, it being more of a life celebration, especially when it came to one of the closest people that I've had mm. in my life that has passed is it was more of a celebration rather than this really sad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sad, but it's mm -hmm. also not what I necessarily thought it would be. You know, if I was Gami's essence right now, Elise Harvey's essence right now. I would not want people to be sad. I would I would want people, hey, I'm here. Tune into me. I am joy. I am life. I love you. You know, don't be sad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can tune into this vibe at any time. It's available to you. And I think, yes, there's a lot of sadness in missing the person's physicalness. 
But I think you're right. There's a growing recognition that there's a non-physical or a vibrational part of people that we're getting in touch with and that we're going to more be, will be more of a valid part of our experience well, in I, the future. I think we set the stage for it at the beginning of the conversation talking about Seth. So who's to say that you weren't just channeling Elise? <laughs> Hey, she's probably tuning into this podcast yeah. right now. Hey, it's International Podcast Day today. By the way, that is, I think, probably the pushing point that got you to sit down with me. And Well, thanks. I felt a little bit spur of the moment here, but thanks for having me. I think that the coolest part about these things is that you can go wherever you want to go. And one of the biggest struggles that I've had is um, trying to turn that into a theme. I think that's been a huge struggle of mine recently is like how do I theme this podcast and when really like all I want to do is jump around and follow what I'm interested in and maybe it won't necessarily all sound like what is line five and ultimate frisbee and death all I have to do with you know but Mm -hmm. in some ways they are all related and I think that I want to find a theme that matches that whether that's just asking the hard questions or asking questions. And do you have any thoughts for me on how I could sort of narrow down this broad? Yeah. I don't think you have to narrow it down. I mean, I think you kind of learn by doing it. And I think having a format that is kind of emergent and unplanned and open is fun and exciting and, um, make being an attractive theme to your podcast and you just get better at it and you'll maybe refine it. You don't necessarily have to know where it's going. I think that's part of the thing about, you know, don't try and put it in a box, but just kind of follow your joy. And, you know, you, you might've learned something from this podcast, but it's obviously evolved quite a bit over since the beginning and will continue to, to evolve. But you know, before you try and label it and define it and refine it, I think you're always going to get closer, but you, like Abraham says, you you can't get it wrong and you never get it done. <laughs> well, I think that's perfect because if I had to theme it, the last couple themes of it have been trying to figure out the theme. So maybe just giving that up and just sort of not trying to theme it, maybe just call it what it is and move into it and have it be open. But I just, I do like the idea of giving people some consistency you know like if you're gonna listen to this but then at the same time it is pretty fun to think about like hey i had a democrat on last week and now i've got a diehard republican so kind of putting people in uncomfortable situations you know like maybe what we talked about is not comfortable to some people and it allows them the opportunity to just turn it off (laughs) or stay with it and listen to it and even if it's just for us, I'm really glad that we did this podcast because it's well, creating a safe place to have uncomfortable, deal with uncomfortable issues could be an interesting angle. Yeah. I think the idea of having a couple of people to talk about a topic too could be interesting and just experimenting with different things. Mm-hmm. But I understand also that you want to have something that's you can talk about and describe to people that they can wrap their brains around. And it's a similar challenge, you know, with teaching in a classroom. Well, what what am I going to, what are we going to learn today? 
what do you want to learn today? <laughs> <laughs> or what do you want to learn? What do you mean? No one's ever asked me that. <laughs> but I also like your, your ability to sort of tune into your own spontaneous uh, interests in during the conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Frisbee or... You know, I realize that our podcast is different than a typical one you might have, but just to trust your own instincts and hunches, that's a good place to be in your podcast or in life in general. Yeah, and just knowing that whatever you're called to do, right, it's like following your gut in a way. I don't necessarily know why this came to me, but I'm just going to go with it. You know, it's sort of like following your interests. And, and I feel honored to be brought up like i said in an environment where that has been pretty much encouraged you know i think i struggled with that and like really wanted you or mom to tell me this is what you're gonna do you're gonna like go to college and then you're gonna do this and then you're gonna do this and without having that direction it's kind of like well what do i like what am i supposed to do i don't know what i'm supposed to do and then going through that allowing myself to not know and be okay with not knowing and then like encouraging the spontaneity and the things that you know following my joy has taken me to places I never would have ever been to you know and like I don't think I would be sitting down doing this podcast with you had I not been encouraged to follow what interests me well you you can thank your older sister for for some of that upbringing because we realized quickly that we weren't going to tell <laughs> her what to do. <laughs> we were pretty stubborn. She probably went through a lot of unnecessary control <laughs> tactics from her parents. But, you know, I think being in Montessori school from age three probably helped too, where you had some choice in your learning yeah, and your, your daily routine. Well, and... I just want to say, too, that I think this podcast, as it stands, whether we release it or not, holds a lot of value because it is a snapshot into a completely different reality than other people have had. So maybe there's people that have had really strict parents, or maybe there's people that have recently lost a loved one, or maybe somebody that is burnt out trying to fight for the pipeline and doesn't know where to turn. I think that there's value in this conversation for any one of those people to just shine a light into a different reality, you know, a different way of thinking, a different way of looking at it. And that was something that I kept saying. And I, I want to like actually embody that and not just say it, but really appreciate it and apply it as like every one of us has value. And we all just by being ourselves, we don't have to be spectacular or anybody important to have value to show people, you know, and I guess I'm just witnessing that and saying that out loud is that I think that our conversation really did have a lot to offer. And so, well, thanks. I did not really want to do this, but I'm glad you encouraged it. Um, do you have any questions for me before we wrap it up or any calls to action for people listening? Words of wisdom. Support live music. <laughs> Support live podcasts. No, um, yeah. You know, at the farmers market gig, uh, Lauren from Shenanigans would be would 
randomly yell out support live music <laughs> to the crowd. It was a little embarrassing, but people responded and we got like a bunch of tips that day. That is too so, funny. Don't don't be afraid to ask for what you <laughs> what you want if it's a good cause. <laughs> no. Um I'm looking forward to the hearing the next hearing to what we said. <laughs> so um That's, let's play some music. Yeah. You actually wrote a song that uh, came to mind when we were talking about Gami, and it was about not being con concerned about leaving. Do you remember this one? You oh, yeah. Uh, it kind of came to me on a bike ride. Yeah? Just the, just the general words. Remember the chorus. I may be on, I may be on, maybe on my way. And when I'm gone, don't be afraid. I can remember. There's a couple more verses. That's really beautiful. I love that one. It's timeless. Mm. I was on my way to work when I <laughs> <laughs> Too good. Well. I'm on my way. Yeah, we're on our way. Thanks again to Leroy for being on the show today. If you want to learn more about Leroy, I'll have links to his website and social media sites in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please consider sharing this conversation with a friend. I think word of mouth is the most powerful way to spread a message, and I would love your help getting this podcast out into the world so that we can build understanding and encourage growth. I want to thank my dad, Leroy, for being the first patron of the Saul Good Podcast. Patreon is a website that allows listeners, guests, and really anyone to support creators by becoming patrons of their projects. So what does it mean to become a patron? Well, if you head on over to patreon.com forward slash Media, you can choose the amount of money you would like to pledge each month, and the proceeds go towards helping me keep this podcast running. Thanks to all of you who have already become a patron. It really means so much to me that you care enough about this work to help me keep it running long into the future. You've been listening to the Saul Good Podcast. I'm Solomon Harvey. Have a Saul Good week.
Sensation is a memory from my life.